You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. So there's a lot to get into here of what uh, JT Miller had to say. I wanted to start with not his comments about the media per se, but specifically more about just the general pressure, the excitement from fans, the passion from fans, and the overall experience of playing in Vancouver, because this is always a a hot button topic, especially for Canadian fans and fans in Canadian cities. And here's what JT Miller had to say about that pressure and playing in Vancouver. Well, they're making a run for their money right now. That's for sure, man. I mean, I feel like it's, it's been so much, you know, not a lot of playoff hockey in the last 10 years. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think that there's, there's a reason to be pissed if you're a fan, no question. I mean, they're loyal and they care and they have tons and tons of passion. You know, it reminds me of playing in New York and it's, like I said, I would, I really wouldn't. I would rather have a fan that cared than didn't care. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I honestly, I mean, I'm not saying I promote the jerseys and stuff on the ice. Like I spoke on behalf of that before, but it's like, I, I, I really, I, I mean, I have a ton of passion myself. So, I mean, I mean, I would never fault somebody for yelling go on the ice because you've been playing like, would never, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, there's times of the year where things become pressing and annoying, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I, you know, I take the passion over anything because in one day when we are, you know, if it's this year or next or the year after, you know, playing in the, playoffs and all of a sudden that passion is going to be helping us so i'm you know i kind of try to look at that way uh that's jt miller and i think that's that's realistically kind of the exact answer you want to hear right like he acknowledges hey jersey's on the ice i don't love you know maybe there's of course there's certain times where you know in my day-to-day life maybe i find it annoying but i'm capable of stepping back looking at the big picture and recognizing why would ray rather have this than Arizona or Anaheim where nobody cares, where nobody's paying attention, where nobody even notices if I'm not playing well because the fans aren't locked in, where it doesn't matter if we miss the playoffs. This has been a big, this is always a big debate, but especially since uh, Radko Gudis made his comments last week, basically saying I had no interest in going to Canada. That's why I went right to Anaheim because I don't want that pressure. I don't want that media activity and it's media and fans. And JT Miller here is specifically talking about the fans. If you're a, in a hot, NHL market, but specifically a Canadian market, I'm not sure you could ask for a better answer than what JT Miller gave there, right? Like, he's he's acknowledging that it exists. He's not saying, yeah, no, there's no difference. But he likes it. He embraces it. He wants it. He lives for it. And that's, that's exactly what you want to hear if you're a Canucks fan, I think. You know, it's something we talk about with this city. It's, yes, there's been a lot of frustration. You look at the close calls with the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup, but not being able to win. But what is the one thing we always say? When, whenever this team wins the Stanley Cup, that team will be loved. You will be gods in this city. Yep. And this isn't an individual. From that clip and just the mentality, you can recognize that they welcome that. He gets that. He gets that. He understands that, hey, when this happens, and he wants to be a part of that, that it's going to be a special moment, and I understand where the pressure's coming from. So, remember, going back to his history, played in New York, which... Mm -hmm. Even though the Rangers are a big deal, they're not the Yankees, they're not the Knicks, they're not the Mets, they're not the Jets, they're yeah, not the Giants. They ha- the, the, the Rangers have a, a passionate fan base, and they're in New York, but they're also, as you said, they're what, like six or seven exactly. in the pecking order there. And he mentioned in, that, in the pod with uh, Cam and Strick that he lived in Tribeca, and Tribeca is like in the middle of the city, but yeah. I guarantee you, when JT Miller was walking through Tribeca, nobody no, knew who he was. No, absolutely right? not. And that's the, like, that's the downtown Vancouver equivalent. Yeah. You go to Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay's chill. Tampa Bay is, it's a classic Florida market where you're mm-hmm. probably living 
in the burbs yep. and, and you're doing your thing. So he's had different experiences and coming to Vancouver, having that pressure around you, understanding that when you go to dinner, there's probably going to be people looking at you and there might be a comment positive or negative made depending mm-hmm. on how you played the night before, but welcoming that and understanding that, Hey, I get it. This is a part of what makes Canada special. There's going to be some weird moments every now and then I'm sure. But when you win, and we've heard this from Yannick Hansen, we've heard this from players that played here during successful periods. Yep. There is no city like Vancouver when you're a good team. When you Yeah, you'll never pay for a beer again. No, no, <laughs> as honestly. As long as you live. Honestly, like when you are when there's pride in the way you play, Vancouverites will do anything for their team. Look how we revere the two teams that fell short. The 94 and the sure. 2011 teams. Like, you're talking about, oh, you'll be legends in the city if you win. Those guys are legends, and they didn't win. They lost in Game 7. But we still, like, Bieksa, Hansen, right? Any guys who are hey, on that team, there's a level of respect for JT it. JT Miller might have not been recognized in Tribeca, but I guarantee you, if Gerald Diddick walked down Robson Street, <laughs> he's getting he's getting hit up, man. He's They're taking photos with him. But JT mentioned that in the pod, too. I don't think we have the audio of that, but he was was specifically mentioning just, like, living in West Van and how people are generally very respectful. You know, they might toss him a quick loving chirp or something here or there, but they generally are are, are very nice about it and uh, how much you like in that area. Yeah. I mean, West Van, it doesn't surprise me. That's a little tamer. The chirps. A little little bit tamer in West Van. Gotta move on to Killarney. I grew up in the North Shore. I was going to say, you move on to Killarney. Yeah, then you're getting some chirps. Let's see how those... He picked, he picked West Van. Can you imagine if JT was like, I just love Killarney. <laughs> High school, the track around Killarney <laughs> Community Center. My go-to cardio. Oh, man. Um, but the thing with the, the fascinating thing with JT Miller is he talks about, you know, embracing that pressure if it exists and dealing with the, you know, the attention from the fans. I don't think there's ever been a question, ultimately, that he is a very, very competitive guy. He has that drive. He has that fire. Now, that's one of the things that made it so surprising last season when there were the, you know, the back checks that didn't exist, right? Like, where there were those moments where if you didn't know JT Miller, you hadn't been following him for a few seasons, and you just watched a clip, you would think, well, does this guy even care? It is weird, because we know he cares, and yep. we can hear it here. And I think almost what happened last year is, you know, like, the the cliche in a, you know, in a job interview, somebody asks you what your biggest weakness is, and you're like, well, I care too much. But it's like, I think that's actually what is happening with J.T. Miller, where it was so frustrating what the team was going through that he almost short-circuited, and it led to those moments that looked really, really bad on tape. And I think the challenge with – it's not a question of can you get this guy to be competitive, can you get this guy to care, right? Like, that's not going to be a problem. The challenge for J.T. Miller and the challenge for Rick Tockett, it's similar to the conversation we were having with Bianca Andreescu, right? Can you – channel those emotions only in a positive way so you're not having those concerns about body language you're not having those moments where it kind of bubbles over and becomes unproductive you're making sure it it helps you rather than goes too far and hurts you and there's two conversations here one is actually like energy level right where you're looking at are you doing things in an efficient manner are you giving yourself the best chance to succeed and there's one moment He talks about the Calgary back check in the game after the Colin Dealey incident. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, taking it off on that, uh, on that shift. It was just, I was dead tired. Yeah. But that's also just managing well, how you, you gotta play. try to, you got to not put yourself in that no, position. Sometimes, yeah. honestly, sometimes there's got to be certain situations where you do a little bit less, right? So uh, it's an energy conversation. Also, Jamie, this is a, a leadership conversation as well. Your team needs certain things out of you in certain moments. 
And when you understand that, and I think JT's, you know, in the in the clip and the conversation, it's your team's going to need you to step up in certain moments. Yeah. And we saw that with JT last year when he had four fights uh, compared to previous years when he has one or two. He need the team needed energy. He stepped up, and you know, two years ago in his ninety nine point season, there was a lot of moments where he basically lowered the shoulder and said, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna will my way to the goal here. At least get an assist or uh, or goal." Like last year at the beginning of the year, he was trying to do that too much. Yeah, where certain games call for certain moments, but you can't do that every single shift. When you do that, it ends up being a bad pass up the middle that goes the other way. Or it ends up being a situation where you're letting your teammate out to dry or it's a bad back check. So just conserving that energy and understanding you can't be hero all the time. And if, you know, everybody on the ice tries to do that, like the Canucks did at certain points last year, you're playing as an individual. And it did improve at the end of last year. But at the beginning of last year, it it was tough to watch. And I think the other part of it is, you know, recognizing that you're in a position of leadership. Right. And that, that that comes with certain responsibilities of how you carry yourself and making sure that you stay on the right side of the energy line. Look, and I know this is a cliche, but coaches have said it all over and over again. You'd rather have a guy that you have to rein in a little bit than somebody that doesn't really care, doesn't have that passion. And there's never been any doubt that JT Miller has that passion. And he illustrates that again, talking about how he embraces uh, the pressure from fans here in Vancouver. <laughs> Look, JT is part of the leadership group. That's that's his role. He's going to be a leader. I don't think he's going to be the guy for part of some of the reasons we're talking about, right? Like yep. the challenge, you, you almost, you don't want to saddle him with the responsibility of being captain because it's so, you, you have to be, I think especially in Vancouver, you have to be a little bit more restrained. That's why Bo Horvat was able to do it. I think that's why, if it is Quinn Hughes, he'll be able to do it well, right? Because he has more of that that even keel. I, I don't think you want to put JT Miller in a position where you're asking him to do that type of job. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair, especially in a Canadian market where, whether it's Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, you, you kind of need that even keel. You need somebody that there's going to be... The last two years are a classic example. Oh, yeah. Sometimes... Stuff gets weird, Canada, <laughs> right? As we've seen, sometimes it gets weird. Are you able to, to kind of be there and be present and not get shook in certain yep. moments? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but like sometimes, you know, that passion can go in an opposite direction. Well, and you might be honest in your opinion. You might be honest in what you say. But remember, this is a public relations game. Yeah. And with, with Horvat and JT, when they were both here, it was almost like a good cop, bad cop dynamic. You know what I mean? And like, that's valuable, right? To have the more buttoned up, reserved, like guy who's going to, you know, not give you anything to work with, but represent the team like Bo Horvat and then have somebody who's willing to play it a, a little looser. I, I think that's a valuable dynamic. I think that's where JT Miller is still going to fit, you know, despite the absence uh, of Bo Horvat and potentially a new captain for next year. So you mentioned, you know, things getting weird over the last couple of seasons. And one of the other clips I wanted to play from JT Miller was, you know, I think he was asked specifically about the transition from Boudreaux to Tockett, but really his answer kind of encompasses more than that going back to the Travis Green days and just the last few seasons and how interesting it's been. Let's put it that way from a player's perspective. Here's what JT Miller had to say. I mean, you could write a book about last season. I mean, about everything from our start to, you know, Travis get fired two years ago, I guess, to, to Bruce coming in and then the whole with Bruce at the end of his tenure. I don't even know what to say. It was just so bad. And I got, it's just another season I want to just kind of erase. I mean, I'm glad that, I, I mean, up until the point where Rick, I mean, everything just changed when Rick got there. So, I mean, up until then, I mean, it's amazing 
and how things, I mean, you write one article and then all of a sudden the city believes one thing and then it becomes healthy again. So it's, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely excited that we're kind of turned the page and move on and can put some things in the past. I mean, with the deadline and all the rumors about people getting traded and, that's JG Miller talking about, you know, and again, the transition from Boudreaux to Tockett and how, how bad last season got. You know, he says it's a season, at least up until Tockett got there, but he wants to erase. But he goes and extends it to, you know, Green leaving and Boudreaux coming in. And really, I would extend it even back to the North Division season where, first of all, Travis Green was coaching without a contract. And then the team is hit by COVID. They have to publicly, JT Miller has to publicly ask the NHL to, you know, delay their return to play because of what they're going through with COVID. And really it's been three seasons that as JT Miller says there, you'd kind of like to erase. And at a certain point we talk so much about, can this team break through and make the playoffs this year? And that's absolutely important. That's vitally important that they at the very least compete meaningfully for the playoffs. But I think at an organizational level, can you just have a stable season? Can you have a quiet season that doesn't have people saying, oh, you could write a book about last year? Canuck's right? stable season challenge? That would never be the subject <laughs> of a book. Have a season that no one would read a book about because it was so boring and uninteresting off the ice. No Can drama. you do that? Yeah. Right? Because it's been three consecutive years of massive organizational drama, coaching changes and GM changes and all of this. It's obviously going to wear on the players. Like you hear, and JT's not whining, he's not complaining, he's not saying, and and that's why I didn't play my best at certain points. But of course, it's going to have an effect on you. And I think as much as the playoffs are important, just like have a normal season, have a quiet season is so so important for this team. Do you consider a quiet season to be like off the ice? Like, what if the yes. Canucks are struggling and? come out of the gate slow again like that's not quiet it's it's you're right it's not going to be quiet and they're they're tied together to to earn that quiet season you need to perform at a certain level well let's separate the two though because the covid year like a a lot of our lives that was a gong show and that incident and that whole ordeal was it was new to everybody it was not hockey related it was life related let's be honest right now the actual previous two seasons What's the one commonality, guys? And Ben, you hit this. It's the starts. When you yep. do not have success, and JT, talking about pressure in Vancouver, kind of alluded to this. When you do not have success and you start off two seasons terribly, terribly, what happens? Mm-hmm. That problem is created. So, you're gonna, and you're going to deal with a lot of the same questions, and right? And that's on the organization in terms of having the right players in place. That's on the coaching staff to make sure that the players are prepared and they're ready to go. That's on the players to show up to, you know, training camp ready to go, in shape. And that's why it's been such a huge talking point for Rick Tockett. It's that that start for a third straight year cannot be like that. No. So when you're talking about it not being a gong show, it not being high drama, I'm looking at the first two weeks of the season. And I know that's a very simple way to look at it. Well, it's but true, though. Slow starts equals drama. It, yeah. it if does. you could start well, if you're not below 500 at the end of October, there will be a lot don't, less negative negativity around guys, the team. don't put vibes yourself matter. behind the eight ball right away. <laughs> Honestly, vibes matter, right? Like, yeah. When you have been in that position numerous times before, Guess what? You start losing, and then you start saying, oh, man, we're not past it yet. We're, that, we're still that same team. Yeah. And I think the other part of it is, look, going, you know, two years ago, coming out of the North Division season, going into the next year, there was, it was, 
it wasn't a surprise that if things went poorly, that there would be big changes, right? That the coach might be out, that the GM might be out. That wasn't necessarily a surprise. Even coming into last year, you know, given what Jim Rutherford had to say about Bruce Boudreau, it wasn't a surprise that if things went sour, that there might be a coaching change. This year, it feels like Tockett has the most job security that we've seen a Canucks coach have in a long time, right? So at least you have that level of stability. Now, Look, if they're on on pace for seventy points in November, does that does that conversation change? Maybe, but does that conversation go up up the ladder beyond talking at that point? I don't know. But the key is, look, the key is to be not even open the door to that discussion, right? Make sure we're not talking about what happens if this team misses the playoffs or what happens if they don't turn it around, right? Because that's going to open the door to more of that drama. But at least if you're just looking behind the bench, there should be inherently more stability with Rick Tockett going into his first full year. I really do think there's two things here. The alignment matters big time. Yes. Where you have a coach that the regime wants. and That has, they chose. And they've had links to since Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. Having that alignment, playing the way that you want to play. The other thing is, and I'll be, you know, I, I think this makes a big difference. And as much as we like to hear from Jim Rutherford, um, having one voice who does not mm-hmm. say very much really cuts down the drama big time. And Rutherford is a, a great interview. He's somebody that has in the past been very honest in his assessment of teams, whether it was in Pittsburgh, whether it was here in Vancouver. But what did it create last year? It created a drama on the heels of good vibes at the end of the season that led into September and it led into October. And there was this tension that we could all feel we were talking about it. And it played out during the season. You don't have that anymore. You have, um, you know, comments are not being made because Patrick Alvin honestly does not make very many of them. Yep. And it goes, you know, well with that alignment that they do have. So I think a part of this is no question, the coach having the right coach, the coach that they want. But on top of that, there's no extra comments being made. And from a media perspective, I know that's obviously tough for us because we're saying, hey, we want to hear those interviews. But from an organizational perspective, it's a lot easier for everybody in the organization, including the players, because yes. they don't have to hear these quotes coming from, you know, the president of hockey operations saying, yeah, you won, but you didn't win the right way. Yeah. Well, and look, just imagine if you're a player, right? And there's a war of words unfolding between your coach and your president of hockey operations, right? In public. And I'm sure they were hearing more about it behind the scenes. You know what I mean? But like, that's a, that's a really difficult situation for players to be in. And again, I don't think Miller's making excuses here. He's just acknowledging, yeah, it's been tough. <laughs> of course it has. And we've we've been covering it for the last two years. So we would agree <laughs> it's been an absolute gong show. And I think, you know, you're right about the, the point about alignment. At a certain point, your job as a GM or as a president of hockey ops, obviously it's to pick the players and to pick the coach, and it's also then to put them in a position to succeed, right? And part of that is not creating this drama, right? Part of it is making doing everything you can to make sure it is relatively quiet. It is normal, and I do think Patrick Alvin being the lone voice is going to go a long ways to uh, to helping them check that box, right? To make putting the players in a position where they can just focus on getting off to a good start on competing for the playoffs. And, you know, I think the the like the verdict is still out there in terms of what kind of team builder Patrick Alvin can be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's on the job for a couple of years now, and you're going to make that assessment probably, I wouldn't say very soon, but it's coming, right? Whether it's in a, a year, two years, whatever like that This year, line, probably. Maybe this year. Yep. But in terms of, you know, being in a position where he can kind of control the message, but also build people up he's shown in the last year since he's been talking 
really going back to the, the beginning of last season, he's going to actually do most of his work behind the scenes. Whether you like that or not, that's probably better for the organization because like an, uh, like an iceberg, right? You only see one-eighth of the work being done from Patrick Alvin, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, yeah. It, it's true. Yeah, there's a lot that goes on uh, behind the scenes as well. I did quickly want to play uh, one last clip here from JT Miller. Somebody texted in, uh, I missed the, the opening. Please play what he said about the media again. Yes, there was uh, some interesting comments about the Vancouver media from JT Miller uh, that got a lot of attention on social media. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, there's a couple of things on that. Like, they're rumors. So, like, I'm not the guy to get caught up in a rumor. Like, if it came from my agent or my general manager, then it's something. But typically, when that happens, the media, I mean, unless you, there's a couple of big names in the media that aren't in Vancouver, but, like, they, they typically can get onto that. So, it's like, I don't get attached to that stuff. And uh, to be honest, I have way too much pride to kiss their ass anyway, and I would tell them that to their face. So, I, I don't know. I would rather actually stir the pot with some of them than... Say, have them say something nice about me to the yeah, point. I was surprised. I, like it, JT, I, I, I baby, was wondering what you're thinking, man, when Cam was like, yeah, I'd, I'd kiss their ass. I'm well, like, I did. I'm well, I'm a it's, four, not, it's, not, it's, yeah, it's not all of them. I just can't stand some of them. And, I, and like, honestly, I think they know that it, I, feel, I feel that way. So it's not really anything to hide. There you go. I can't stand some of them. Okay, low-key, that was a wrestling promo. He was cutting a promo there. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> but I think if you asked a lot of oh, – I mean, first of all, like, I understand why people are going to glom on to that. But yeah. – Look, I'm not I'm not a I'm a media member, but I'm not in the room, right? So I'm kind of a, out on the outside looking in of this conversation. Really, this is about the the players and media who deal with each other on a kind of day-to-day basis. Sure. And I think in any in any situation like that where there's a big group of media and they're they're in there on a regular basis talking to the players. Look, they're not coworkers, but they are they're sharing a workspace, right? They're at a professional place together both doing jobs. In any professional space, there's going to be people who don't get along, right? And there are in any team that has a sufficient number of media covering it, there's going to be reporters and journalists and players who don't necessarily get along, right? To me, that's not a big deal. And I have no problem with JT Miller being upfront and honest about it. That's just reality. That's just life, right? And again, like he's not making excuses. He's not saying, and and this is affecting my play and I can't focus because I don't like these guys. He's just saying, yeah, there's some of them I don't get along with. Like I have no problem with him just acknowledging that fact whatsoever. Yeah, and I think there's an there's an element of I don't buy into that is what he's saying. Like yeah. I don't really pay attention, um, but I'm not afraid to call it out. And hey, you know, it's his opinion. It's just something that he sees it his way. And, you know, being in the room a lot of times, whether it's a game day skate, whether mm-hmm. it's a, a practice, obviously, you know, from my dealings with JT, he's, if you got a question, he'll answer it. Obviously, yep. like any player, if you're coming off a loss or if you're in a four or five game losing streak, guess what? That's generally not an easy conversation with JT Miller. There's other guys in the room that might be a little bit easier to talk to. Yep. But that that's the reality of not only JT Miller, but there's a number of players over the years that have a similar personality. Some guys absolutely hate losing and some guys hate that. Maybe that, you know, there's rumors out there as well. And, and that, that, you know, Brock Best is a classic example. Mm-hmm. He was stressed this year when those trade deadline rumors were out there, but they were still out there. There was conversations about, you know, whether he's going to be traded. His agent was looking for a trade. Like those are real. When it comes to JT Miller, I can understand the frustration with rumors. But Jamie, there were discussions, yes. right? Like let's yeah. not let's not skip over that fact, right? <laughs> when Patrick Alvin was asked a couple of times this year, he didn't necessarily no. refute anything. No, 
He didn't confirm that a specific team called, but those discussions did happen at some point. So I can understand the frustration. I can understand the players saying, hey, I, I signed a long-term deal here. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's discussions, it's still our job to report them. And well, some know- of the relationship with the media members, too, like you hit on it earlier, like I'm sure some of it has to do with, with the – the feel in the room during all the losing. Like, if you're a reporter talking to a player every single day and all you're doing is losing over and over and over again, things can get prickly because you, as a reporter, will have to ask sometimes tough questions that I'm sure the players won't always want to answer, especially if you have to ask it over and over and over. So, I mean, I imagine the losing environment that sort of became a thing for this team over the last few years probably played into some of that. Like, if they'd been winning nonstop, if they'd... 100% 100% had a bunch of big playoff runs over the last three years. His relationship with the reporters would probably be a little bit different than it is right now, right? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I will say even, you know, what he says towards the end there where like, yeah, I'd rather stir the pot with some of them anyways than have them say something nice about me. Isn't that kind of what you want? If, if your job is to cover this team, oh, on awesome. a day, like, sure. oh, great. He, I wish everyone did. You that. know what I mean? He's willing to like, give me a juicy quote. Oh, the best. Right? Like that sounds awesome. Great. You're just going to stir the pot a little bit. That sounds perfect. You know, overall, like I thought those comments and I know a lot of people are saying, Hey media, how, how do you respond? And it's just like, first of all, this <laughs> Vancouver media has a block. I, yes. don't, I don't think we, we actually operate. We didn't, that we way. didn't have to we didn't have a, get together and draft a response. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have a meeting last night. We're not the stone cutters. All right. We, we didn't I do that. We What's that? I said, I wish we were. Yeah, I know. We don't, we don't pop, sing together. No, we don't go. We, we don't do. have snazzy Who robes. brings JT Miller down? <laughs> we do. We didn't ne- do that. That's your next musical project. Yeah, there we go. We didn't do that. <laughs> the Canucks media stone cutter song. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but well, like, don't tempt me again. I mean, I have it would be one thing if he was coming out and saying this team is never going to have success because of the media. Right. But he's not saying that. he's oh, just no. saying, yeah, there's some guys I don't get along with. I'm like, all right. And and you want to go through every market <laughs> and even like guys in Anaheim in Florida, the guys that play in where there's barely any media there mm-hmm. will still be like, man, I hate dealing with media. Like, you're yeah, that's every team has a couple of those guys are just like you can you can see them roll their eyes to be like oh it's my turn to do media and jt is not one of those guys he actually enjoys doing media a lot like mm-hmm. some of the most detailed answers especially when the team is doing well or yep. when there's you know he'll give you some really good answers he'll go back into the kind of you know previous games and talk about very specific incidents or um plays so he actually i think he enjoys doing media it's well, just a matter of yeah, when you're losing and you get the same questions over and over again, when you are losing and you've got potentially trade conversations and extensions and all of that conversation going on, I know it gets old. But and, but it, it also gets old for us, Jamie. Yeah, but it's the yeah. game. It's the life we chose. <laughs> the game is the game. He makes some... He makes some of the best, most pointed comments about the team, though, too. I mean, I think back to the closing days of the Travis Green era. I remember the team was in Pittsburgh, not the game here against Pittsburgh where the jersey was on the ice, but a few weeks before that they were in Pittsburgh, had a really bad effort. And after the game, JT Miller made some pretty incendiary remarks about where the team was at and how the season was going, right? And, you know, maybe that, like, if that's a result of him being crusty and prickly and not dealing with the media, well, the end result is he's giving you a good diagnosis of what's going on with the team, right? You feel like you're getting something honest. He's not just giving you these these stock cliches, right? So I think from the media's perspective, and again, it's different for me because I'm not in the room like you are and like a lot of the other guys are, right? So it's kind of irrelevant for me. It doesn't really affect me on a day-to-day basis. But in terms of, well, who do you want to talk to? Like, it's still probably JT Miller because whether he likes it or not, 
he's gives he ends up giving you good stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, you always lean into the guys that will give you more thoughtful answers, like because most of them, you know. Yeah, a lot like, of guys are kind oh, yeah. of boring. And whether it's because they <laughs> like talking to you or, what, or whether because they're frustrated, whatever the source no, of it, it is, it ends up being a good a good quote and totally. interesting talk. There was it. a reason that Luke Shen was requested yeah. to talk to every single day yeah. almost while he was in Vancouver because he would give honest, you super, know. Super thoughtful uh, answers. Absolutely. But, you know, I think there's another discussion here as well. It's that a lot of players, and just my discussions with players, like Scoop's culture mm. is something that players are not a fan of because – you know, guys will reach out and say, hey, this report came out, and what are you guys smoking? What are you talking about? Yeah, like, not to me personally, but, like, just in terms of, you know, in the past, it was like, hey, this came out. Like, what's going on here, right? Um, it, it Scoop's culture is something that a lot of players, they don't, they're not fans of it because you're, you're talking about their life. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, so it's kind of like, I think there's an element of that. When they, we hear rumors, um, you know, JT mentions rumors, it's mm-hmm. like, you're talking about the livelihood. You're talking about where a player is going to live with their family. And therefore, they take that very, very seriously. Where to us, it's like, JT to Pittsburgh makes sense. JT to Columbus makes sense. To New sense. York makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like all of that. And and guys, yeah, guys get a little prickly about that because to them, it's, hey, this is my life. You guys are just throwing out teams. Yeah, and I think for us, we see a distinction between discussion and actual like reporting. You know what I mean? But I understand for a player, that distinction wouldn't make as much of a difference because, like, as you say, you're still talking about my life. Whether you're reporting that it's their trade discussions happening, or you're just saying, "Hey, would this make sense?" Like to the player, it probably all just kind of runs together and sounds the same because ultimately, it is other people talking about their lives. But uh, as you said, the game is the game. The game is the game. <laughs> six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you don't got haters, you ain't popping. Remember, <laughs> That's right? There's a few variations of that that have come in yeah. uh, on the inbox in, in regards to JT Miller. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Joining us on the line, he is the play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet. Uh, Dan Schulman joins us. Dan, thank you as always for uh, making time to chat with us. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing very well. The Jays are in a good spot right now. Still a a great chance to make the playoffs. But they would be one of the the worst clutch-hitting teams to ever do so. Um, When you look at improvement, though, is it simply come down to – obviously, it's a team game, but when it comes to Vladdy Jr. and George Springer, is that where you're looking to say, all right, these guys need to start uh, maybe bringing out that elite elite bat a bit? Yeah, those those are the two guys who have probably, you know, underperformed most relative to their abilities or their expectations. Uh, you know, Dalton Varsho's not had a good year offensively, but he's starting to pick it up. Alejandro Kirk has not had a good year offensively, but he's starting to pick it up. But, yeah, I think a lot of it is on – uh, Vladdy and Merrifield and uh, Vladdy and Springer, excuse me. And, and, you know, Vladdy's getting his hits like he had a single and a double last night. It's just those, uh, you know, we're not seeing a lot of home runs mm. and just, just those big moments, you know, those big Vladdy moments where you're sitting there and you're saying, there's no way this guy can get him out. Whoever that guy happens to be. And you don't really have that feeling to the same extent, obviously, as you've had, especially yeah, in 2021 um, Springer's come out of it a little bit. He's starting to get his hits but kind of the same thing, those big, big moments for him. You know, he has struggled with runners in scoring position uh, a lot this year. And, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit different for him being out of the leadoff spot, hitting cleanup, 
Um, everything looks better when Bo gets back too, right? I think it's another dangerous bat in the lineup. But yeah, it, it, top to bottom, they've all got to do a little bit more. But for sure, Springer and Vladdy are two guys you can you can zoom in on a little bit closer. You know, and with the runner in scoring position stats, I mean that's been I know that's been a huge uh, a huge topic of conversation for Jays fans and and the media covering them in Toronto all season. And it, it's one of those things where I look at it, you know, early in the season. You're, it's so easy to dismiss as a small sample size thing, but then the longer it goes on, you start to wonder, well, is there actually something here? Do you do you see it as you know maybe a, a problem of the approach they're taking, or in your eyes, what's leading to to these struggles with runners in scoring position? I think it's a few different things. I think some of it is an element of randomness. I mean, we've seen teams in the Blue Jays. I think it was two years ago were bad in the first half of the year, and then were like the best team in baseball in the second half of right. the year. Uh, maybe it was last season. I can't remember. But, you know, that kind of thing happens. Just because a team hasn't done it doesn't mean anybody's saying they can't do it. We're just saying they haven't done it yet. So I, I think part of it is a bit of randomness, small sample size. Um, I think part of it is approach. I think some guys could stand a little bit of a different approach and uh, try to do a little bit, you know, less is more approach. Hit a fly ball, get a run home, and, and uh, take a base hit. If the, if the pitch is a slider off the outside corner, um, try to line it to right instead of trying to pull it to left for a home run. I think a little bit of it is an approach, you know, with complete understanding that hitting is a lot harder than it looks sitting there watching on a monitor like, like we do. Uh, and then the last thing I truly believe because it's been discussed so much, but when they got off to a bad start, they hear it, they know it. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of element of trying too hard once you get up there, you know, of being aware of the situation and feeling a little bit more pressure. So I think it can be a few different things kind of rolled into one. Uh, there are no doubt offensive woes, but the pitching has been great. And last night as well, uh, you say Kikuchi doing his job, top 15 in ERA in the American League, and just being a, a consistent player probably uh, could probably be the uh, the best stretch of his career as of right now. What's the uh, the biggest change that you've seen in him compared to last year? Uh, a lot of things. So last year, his, his slider, which was kind of the pitch he leaned on when he was in trouble, and it felt like everybody knew he leaned on it. His command with it wasn't good. He would either miss badly sometimes or throw it right down the middle sometimes. Plus, it was sometimes it was 87-88. Sometimes it was 90-91. Sometimes it, it almost looked like a cutter or his fastball. Like it just, uh, there was no consistency to it. This year, I think both in terms of velocity and especially location, He's very consistent with it. It's down and in, down and in, down and in to the righties. He's making very few mistakes with it over the heart of the plate. Plus, he's added the curveball. He's kind of junked the splitter because it's not really doing much, but he's added the curveball. He's bought into it. So he's got a fastball at 96, a slider at 89, and a curveball at 83. Three distinct pitches, three distinct velocities, and pretty good to very good command on all of them. He's cut his walk rate in half from last year which is crazy. Like how many guys can improve something that much? So I think he's confident. Uh, I don't think he's predictable anymore. I don't think he's behind in counts as much anymore. Uh, And I think he's just in a really good place. This stuff is really, really good. He's just finally found a way to harness it, understand it, use it properly. And I think his confidence is building start by start. So I'll, I'll put you on the spot, Dan. I mean, if you're if you were in the manager's position, you're setting a, a playoff rotation for a three game wild card huh. series. Does you say Kikuchi yeah. make the cut for number three right now? 
That's a great question, and it's one I don't think I can answer right now. I mean, Kevin Gosman is definitely in there, and barring something unforeseen to me, Kevin Gosman is the number one, Mm -hmm. and and I wouldn't see see that changing. Here's the honest answer. I think it might come down to who they're playing. Right. Um, You know, is is a team more susceptible to lefties or righties? Because Kikuchi definitely has earned his way into the conversation, and that's not a shot on Chris Bassett and Jose Barrios. Um, you know, and that's what makes this team both so interesting, but at times frustrating. They've got so many things going for them. To me, you know, every year there's kind of a team or two where you say, well, I don't even know if they're going to get into the playoffs, but if they get in, watch out. This feels like it could be the watch out team because they have an incredible amount of pitching depth. So we've just talked about four. Mm-hmm. We haven't even mentioned Manoa, who's pitching better in Ryu. And then the bullpen when Romano and Richards and Chad Green, and Chad Green, I don't know if you saw, I did, Chad yeah. Green got hit by, yeah, by yeah, Tyler Heineman's throw last night. I haven't seen today if he's okay, but assuming he's okay, you add Chad Green, Trevor Richards, and Jordan Romano to this bullpen. I don't think there's a deeper pitching staff in baseball. Um, we, they've got a lot of good things going and a lot of tough decisions to make. So uh, in terms of two, three, four, I would say it might have to wait until you know who you're facing. The thing that can work against Kikuchi is because he's pitched out of the bullpen before last year and did it successfully, they might say, okay, well, we'll, we'll put him down there. But I'm never a fan. Uh, well, the first round, well, let me back up. It's a two out of three, and then it's a three out of five, and then it's four out of seven, right? So you need, you need different things. But Kikuchi could be that guy who they use in a different role because he's done it before. But, um, you know, as they say in baseball, these things have a way of sorting themselves out between now and then. You mentioned Hinjin Ryu, and uh, obviously a, a, a difficult situation a couple of games ago where he got hit by the uh, the comebacker, but he seems like he might be able to make the, the start on Sunday. We'll wait for the updates there. But in the two starts he's made, uh, what did he make of, of his return from Tommy John surgery? I think very encouraging. Um, his velocity's a little bit down. Uh, a tick or two he's kind of 88 to 90 instead of 90 to 91 with the fastball um i thought his command was very good against cleveland i also think it's cleveland and they're one of the worst offensive teams in baseball so whenever well let if he starts sunday it's against the cubs that's a test the cubs are really really swinging it they might win the national league central they're they've kind of come out of nowhere and they're playing much better baseball right now so uh, just like with Alec Manoa, I want to see more and more and more. Like, uh, great first step, let's see another. Great second step, let's see another. That that sort of thing. But I think it is very encouraging. He's an interesting guy because, to me, he's not a guy you would stick in the bullpen in a playoff series. I don't think, you know, given how long he's been a starter and only been a starter. Uh, yeah, And, again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but if this is a playoff team, you just you don't have room for everybody. So, Hopefully he'll be healthy and effective and a part of it. Um, but I wonder how long they go with the six-man rotation. Um, you know, they've got an off day Monday and Thursday next week. If they stay with a six-man rotation, that means some guys would be on six days rest and some guys would be on seven days rest before they make their next start after this week. Probably not what you want, but your guess is as good as mine as to who they take out of the rotation. 
Dan, you know, we mentioned Davis Schneider uh, a little bit earlier in, in our chat. And, you know, I, I did just want to circle back to his debut series against the Red Sox, which was pretty phenomenal to watch on TV. And we see all the stats about how historic it was. I mean, starting with a home run in his first major league at bat. And then you think about the backstory and where he was selected in the draft, the years in the minors. It was pretty remarkable. What was it like for you to, to witness that and to be a part of it, calling it on TV? It was wild. First of all, it's Fenway Park, so everything is heightened. Yeah. And like you said, between 28th round, 5'9", uh, the mustache, the 40-year-old glove that he's using out at second base, like, you couldn't make this stuff up, right? If somebody came to you and said, hey, I've got an idea for a, for a drama and said this, everybody would go, no, nah, that's too much, man. Like, that's, that's too much. But um, he's a really chill cool guy he's he's just a nice guy and soaking it all in um and it was it was wild i mean james paxton's a good pitcher and and he hits a home run he hits another one on the on sunday and and even a lot of the base hits different kind of pitches different parts of the zone he had a tough night on monday obviously but everybody had a tough night on monday um i i believe in him i i you know i i'm not sure he's going to be um you know an all-star and a hall of famer and all that stuff you know but but I believe he's a big league player, and I believe he he can hit. I mean, you look at his numbers at AAA, his swing decisions, his walk ability, um, uh, his ability to get the ball in the air. Um, I like him. I, I I think he can play. He looks you know he looks okay defensively. I've heard he's adequate at second, third, and left. Um, we might see him at third base sometime soon if Chapman gets a half day off. But I think they want to keep him in second and left as much as they can, but it, it was really fun to be there. It was really fun to see all of his teammates go nuts. Like they were little eaguers. They were so happy for him. And let's be honest, the, the blue Jays need it. They need every bat they can get. They, if, if he's productive, they need him in the lineup. Um, you know, it's nice to see Biggio come up with a big home run uh, the other night as well, but they, they got to pick the nine hottest guys or the nine best matchups night after night and, and hope they can hit. Cause Yes, there have been signs of improvement offensively, but, you know, still, they they need more. They can be shut down. So every guy they've got who's swinging the bat well has got to be in there. Dan, so we know you obviously uh, call the Blue Jays games for Sportsnet, but you got a special assignment coming up here at the end of the month with the uh, FIBA Basketball World Cup coming up. And uh, very exciting for Canadian basketball fans. Uh, the deepest roster we've probably ever seen. I'm not even going to say probably. We've ever seen with a number of NBA players. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, from your perspective, your personal, uh, just you know, experience, uh, how how much are you looking forward to calling this, which is a, a key moment for Canadian men's basketball right now? Yeah, I, I can't wait. I, I mean, you we we've talked about this before when I've come on the station with you guys. You guys know I love this. Um, I, I mean, I did the tournament in Victoria, did the Olympics mm-hmm. last year, did the ill-fated uh, Americas tournament. Uh, where was it down in Mexico when they lost to Venezuela back in? 2015 didn't get into the Olympics, but you're right. This is unquestionably the best roster they have. And I think that's the case, even if Jamal Murray doesn't play, and we're still hoping that Jamal Murray will play. But even if he doesn't, um, you still have seven NBA players and a few other guys who are really top-end experienced international players who have played a lot of FIBA basketball for Canada. I spent part of my morning trying to figure out how 
I can watch the Canada-Germany friendly that is taking place about three hours from now. And I think I figured it out. But in the murky world of international basketball, you never know if you're quite signed up and on the right site until the game starts. <laughs> and I think and I think it'll be in German, and my German's a little rusty. So I'm not sure I'll understand much of what they'll say, but I'll be able to watch it. Um, but I think this is great. And, and there's a lot of excitement, as there should be, and there's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, the World Cup is a huge event in and of itself, and it would be great to get the best finish they can get. But I believe, and I think you guys probably would agree, that even bigger is qualifying for the Olympics. Like, um, that, that's not that that's what this is really all about, but that's a lot of what this is about. And they'll have to play very well. They're in a tough group, and they have a tough, tough crossover group if they get that far. But um, I love all the things I've heard from Jordi Fernandez the new coach. I was down there the first day of practice. Um, it was the only day I could make it. And, you know, watching Shea Gilgis Alexander over to Dylan Brooks, over to RJ Barrett, over to Luke Dort, over to Nikhil Alexander Walker, like just sitting in this little gym at the OVO practice facility and watching all these guys was really cool. And, and they're, they're talented, they're athletic, they're versatile. They've got a, two of the world's greatest defenders in Dort and Brooks. Um, they've got what they need, in my opinion, to get where they want to get. Um, just got to keep everybody healthy over the next couple of weeks, hope Murray plays, and see what happens. Yeah, and as you mentioned, if Murray's in the lineup, that kind of one-two punch in the backcourt with him and Shea Gilgis, Alexander, yep. I always think, especially in, in tournament basketball, having a couple of guys that you can just give the ball to and say, hey, go create, go get your shot, and, and you have a high yep. confidence that they're going to do it, That's so, they, they might have the best backcourt in this tournament. That, that is true. The issue, if he doesn't play, um, is they get a little bit thinner at point guard. They were really stacked at point guard. Kevin Pangos, who was a great FIBA basketball player, uh, had to withdraw for contractual reasons. Sounds like there was a mutual agreement with Corey Joseph, given where he is in his career and maybe what his role would be, um, that, it, that he wasn't going to be a part of it. So you've lost Pangos and Joseph. Murray, we don't know. You still have Shea Gilgis Alexander. You've got Nikhil Alexander Walker, who's kind of a combo guard. He's not a true point. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a younger guard, Trey Bell Haynes, who played for them a lot in the uh, in the winter game in the winter qualification games and plays in Europe. But uh, having Murray is huge. Even if Murray, uh, they're forty minute games. Even if Murray can't play forty minutes or can't play thirty five minutes, like that's fine. Yeah, in my mind, even if he can play 20 to 25 minutes, I mean, he's played a lot of basketball. Yeah. You know, came off a huge injury and then played a ton of basketball winning the NBA title. So we all we all get it. But even if you know that at any point in time, one of those two guys is going to be on the floor. Like if Gilchus Alexander can be a 32-minute guy and Murray can be a 22-minute guy, to me that's huge. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. We don't we don't know. They're They're a little thin – um, in the shooting and the ball handling department if Murray's not there. And they're going to need to score in other ways. Transition, uh, you know, R.J. Barrett getting to the basket, um, running stuff through Kelly Olenek, who's a tremendous FIBA player. They can still do it. They've still got a lot of options. But Murray, obviously, is a guy. He's a separator, right? So he takes them to another level. Uh, speaking of basketball, Dan, just before we let you go here, you know, I know you, you call a lot of college basketball as well in the winters, and uh, it doesn't get a ton of attention in Canada, but if you've been paying attention at all to college athletics recently, you know that there's another uh, addition of conference realignment, and this time, you know, it looks like the Pac-12, one of the historic athletic conferences, is is going to be essentially no more, which is disappointing, Thing I think, for a lot of fans here 
on the West Coast. What's your reaction as somebody who's been around the college basketball game a lot to, you know, the realignment and, and some of the things we're seeing in that area? I can't stand it. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm old enough to remember all these great regional rivalries, many of which don't exist anymore. It, it's because of football, right? It, it's yep. it's it's uh, schools wanting to get the biggest payout they can get, and that's coming from the big football leagues, and that's the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, and then the Big 12 and the Pac-12, uh, along with the ACC, are kind of next, and, and it's kind of, you know, eat or be eat right now. Um, you know, this uh, this latest round started, as you guys know, when UCLA and USC went to the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. So, okay, maybe it works for football and you're getting more money and that's great. Uh, I don't love it for basketball. Like, I want to see UCLA play Arizona. And I understand now UCLA will play Michigan and Arizona will play Kansas in the new conferences they are. But you know what? Like, USC's going to Penn State and Rutgers is going Maryland, to USC. Yeah. Right, yeah. Maryland is going to USC for a basketball game. Okay, great. I'm a Maryland fan. I'm in Maryland, and that game's going to start at 7 o'clock Pacific time. I'm going to sit up and watch a basketball game at 10 o'clock at night that I should be able to watch at 7 o'clock at night. Um, and now let's talk about the non-revenue-producing sports, gymnastics, diving, wrestling, whatever. All of those student-athletes, like the Maryland kids got to go to L.A., and the Oregon kids got to go to – Northwestern and it just like this is hard and and it's not fair to the students it's not fair to the fans it's not fair to the the parents of the student athletes um, who want to watch their kids perform and it's all about football money so you know I come at I'm not a football I mean I like football but I don't do football I don't come at it from the football perspective I come at it from the basketball perspective and I tend to think a little bit more about the student athletes and the families and the fans and I, I think 20 years from now, a lot of people will look back on this and say, yeah, we cashed a bigger check, but in hindsight, maybe there was another way to do it. I, it's, it, it bugs me. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and, and for the Pac-12 to just go up and smoke like, and disappear, you know, so some going to the Big 12, some going to the Big 10. Lord knows what Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State are going to do. I have no idea how they salvage their programs and where they wind up. Um, student, I know basketball players for those four schools are decommitting, and why wouldn't they? Like, what, why would they stay? Um, and it's just a shame. Um, I, I think this is, uh, you know, I, I think this is a little bit ill-conceived and, and and could have been done differently. And I don't think it's over. I don't know what the end game is, but I, I don't think it's over. Dan, well said. Appreciate your thoughts on that and uh, on the Jays. And man, I, I can't wait to watch uh, the FIBA World Cup. I know you're going to have a blast calling it. Thanks for making time for us today. You got it, guys. Have a good one. That is Dan Shulman. He is uh, the Blue Jays play-by-play voice, but as you heard, he wears a lot of different hats, can do a lot of different things in this game, uh, Dan Shulman. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.